Selamat datang kembali semuanya. Welcome back to the Indotechno Podcast, Season 3, Episode 28. I'm Alan Hallowell, Venture Partner at Leading Early Stage Indonesian VC, AC Ventures, and founder of startup consultancy, Gizmo Advisors. I would assume by now that a majority of Indotechno Podcast listeners are well familiar with the rise of ESG standards, ESG standing for Environmental, Social, and Governance. Now, while the relevance of ESG to certain industries such as mining and minerals, consumer packaged goods, and petrochemical seem all too intuitive, its principles apply across all verticals. Less than 10 days ago, AC Ventures colleague Lauren Blasco, in collaboration with Boston Consulting Group and with the support from the Upright Project in Europe, launched what we believe to be the first quantifiable ESG standards for Indonesia's tech sector by publishing the most in-depth, data-driven impact report to date on the local digital economy. Now, our guest joins us from Bali, where we are likely to be graced with frequent clucking of chickens and crowing of roosters, which I feel is a nice soundtrack playing in the background. Without further ado, we're tremendously pleased to have Lauren Blasco join us today to discuss her report titled Scaling Impact with Technology, and how the ESG imperative translates to Indonesia's technology world. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lauren. Thank you, Alan, for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. Fantastic. Now, Lauren, you've spent much of your career actually teaching social entrepreneurship. You, for instance, taught at two of Asia's very finest universities, University of Hong Kong and National University of Singapore, or as we know it, NUS. Why the transition? from those roles into venture capital with AC Ventures? Great question. I actually started my career in private equity with a focus on hospitality. And during this time, sustainability was just really beginning from an infrastructure standpoint. So that's where I began. And then I did make the transition more into the educational space and the sustainability impact space, working at universities as well as advising and working with different groups on their sustainability and ESG strategies. So actually, COVID was the kicker for me to have some time to think about what I wanted next and what the next phase would be. I was working with a few different funds and helping them with their ESG strategies on investing. And I just thought to myself, this is a really great opportunity, especially in Indonesia and an emerging market, to bring all of my experiences together from private equity on the finance side to sustainability, and then working with entrepreneurs and our founders. So that was a thought process, the aha moment where everything came together over the years of my experiences. Fantastic. I'm personally looking forward to working with you at AC Ventures. Now, I know that moreover, I know for a fact, a lot of our audience have already reviewed your recent report. But for those that haven't, what were you seeking to achieve in coming out with this recent report? The main goal was to publish an in-depth data-driven report. When we set out to write this report, the idea was to create a framework that would guide tech companies and investors who can see a new paradigm of ESG and impact reporting on the horizon in emerging markets, more specifically Indonesia. We titled the report Scaling Impact with Technology and used net impact ratio to quantify precisely 
how effectively a group of companies turns resources into positive impact. And we did that in partnership with the Upright Project out of Finland. Now, clearly, this is not the first time you've had this question posed to you, and it won't be the last. But why should startups care about ESG? They frankly seem focused on hand-to-mouth, day-to-day struggles, such as extending their runway, fundraising, valuations, and whatnot. How is ESG important in this context? We get that question quite often. There's numerous ways to look at it. So for startups, one of them is risk mitigation, streamlining operations and identifying opportunities, access to additional capital that focuses on ESG strategies, and potential valuation upside. And maybe let's peel the onion back a little more. You talk about potential valuation upside. Give me an example of how that might apply. Sure. If you look at some of our portfolio companies that are integrating ESG into their overall strategy, it's actually creating a lot of efficiencies within their operations. They're using different ways to identify opportunities and and streamline their operations. So their budgets, their operational budgets are being scaled back and they're being able to identify additional opportunities to scale up with different resources that they have internally, whether that be GPS systems, refrigeration systems, et cetera. So if their revenue is actually increasing, then their overall valuation will increase by using their ESG strategies to streamline both their operations and mitigate their potential risks down the line. And is there even more the simple mandate that not just our own, but other LPs are increasingly insistent on portfolio companies that embrace ESG best practice. And therefore, if you are not articulating an ESG strategy, you may not attract some of that tier one blue chip capital that may in turn improve your valuation? For sure. So I think we're now seeing, and Europe is definitely leading the way with this in terms of their LPs, but it went from an exclusion list to more of a ESG strategy. Portfolio companies that do have ESG strategies in place are definitely attracting your top tier LPs and or DFIs, et cetera, whereas the other alternative is that they're not going to be attracting the same amount of LPs or as quality LPs, if you want to call it that. Understood. If you don't mind indulging me in a broader devil's advocate question, as for instance, Hamish Dowd of Circular Economy and Recycling Platform Octopus shared on our podcast a few weeks ago, quote unquote, Indonesia is a third world country. People have hard lives. Some families might have two kids. They have to feed an in-law that's sick. A mortgage may not be paid for. The last thing they want to think about is recycling. And to add on to his quote, I would assume more broadly, ESG. Is Indonesia really ready for a broad and sustained embrace of ESG? I think we will likely have a very similar answer, as a lot of that goes back to education, behavior change, and making conscious decisions that will ultimately reflect positive economic benefits for the community. And I believe everyone, whether first or third world, is ready for that. Understood. So really an inevitability, not a nice to have. Now, when I think of ESG, I tend to think, frankly, first and foremost of the E in ESG, namely the environment. What 
is ESG specifically in a tech context in your mind? It's actually all encompassing across our diverse portfolio. Tech has a lot of social and socioeconomic impact embedded into it. Lending platforms for SMEs, financial inclusion and literacy, jobs for the informal sectors, education and increased wages for farmers and fishermen, as well as identifying operational best practices to reduce carbon footprints. So while you are pointing out the E in ESG, a lot of our portfolio has a lot of the social and socioeconomic impacts embedded into it, which I just mentioned a few examples. Understood. So with the metrics you're referencing, it's clearly not a subjective, touchy-feely movement we're talking about. And in fact, you've mentioned in our past discussions a need to do, quote unquote, baselining and benchmarking. How do we do this? Can you explain in layman's terms how we can capture or measure impact in a tech context? Sure. Creating a baseline allows companies to know where they stand, what they're doing well, and what they could be improving. This information supports the development of an ESG strategy and framework, opening the door to additional capital, as we spoke about, as well as valuation upside. This also puts our portfolio companies on the best footing possible, getting ahead of the inevitable regulations that will come. We value and understand the importance of a third-party platform to ensure full transparency for all stakeholders. We chose the Upright Project as our platform to measure impact holistically across products and services in a standardized format. It also benchmarks against relevant industries to give our portfolio companies a sense of where they stand in their sector. Gotcha. So it really does lend itself to frameworks that I, I had thought you might not be able to erect due to uh, dearth or scarcity in measurable values. Now, also in our recent discussions, you've talked about phase one and phase two. What are we talking about here? So phase one was completing the net impact assessments with the Upright Project, creating our baselines and working with the portfolio companies on their strategy on what they can do better, what they're doing really well, and publishing our first report, which we just published about 10 days ago. Phase two will be diving deeper into carbon and decarbonization strategies. Now, Lauren, in retrospect, what was the most fascinating discovery you made through this report with BCG, as you mentioned, a week and a half ago? I think being able to quantify all of our impact that we're having across all of our portfolio into quantifiable data, understanding the impact that we have as a fund, AC Ventures, seeing where we sit compared to other indexes. Happy to share that our overall net impact ratio of AC Ventures and its portfolio delivered 37%. To give you a comparative or useful benchmark, the NASDAQ small cap index is 29%. So we are scoring very well across our portfolio and being able to understand and quantify where we are and understand and figure out where we want to go is the most fascinating thing for me. That's pleasing to hear. I wanted to talk about the other extreme. I want to discuss the topic of greenwashing in the tech industry. Greenwashing, for those who are not familiar, is the process of conveying a false impression or providing misleading information about how a company's products or services are more environmentally sound, for instance. How do we think about greenwashing in tech, Lauren? 
I think that is a clear issue, but one that speaks to the growing importance of ESG. That said, it's usually the starting point for someone's ESG journey. As you're talking about overstating or changing the narrative on products and services, I think also a lot of it goes back to being able to have a baseline, working with a third-party system to really being able to quantify the impact that your products and services are having. So would I go so far as to say from that answer that there might be common scenarios in which someone who's accused of greenwashing may actually simply be at the very beginning of their ESG journey, may not know how to couch their efforts and how to measure their claims and that with time as education improves, as you mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, that that message becomes clearer and what we thought was greenwashing was merely a company that is more novice in addressing these concerns. I guess the short answer is yes. I think established companies that have big teams that are on the ground doing this day in and day out should not be excusable. That said, I think from a tech perspective and a startup perspective, I think ESG is new, especially in Indonesia. I think most things do start from a marketing standpoint. So if they're communicating being zero waste or single-use plastic-free or terminology like that, I think that a lot of times they're putting their best foot forward and they're being as transparent as possible. But at the end of the day, a lot of times this is just the beginning of their journey and they don't really know how to do the checks and balances for a lot of areas, especially when it comes to ESG. Maybe I'm being a bit nice on this, but I think that greenwashing is thrown around quite often. And typically it is just the beginning of somebody's journey. And as long as you remain transparent along the way, you'll get to where you need to be. Very interesting view of the issue. Now, Lauren, can you share with us any illustrative examples of an AC Ventures portfolio company with whom you've worked that has achieved measurable progress in the ESG space? And maybe not one whose very business focus is recycling or other forms of impact, but a less intuitive one that has indeed made really good ESG progress in your mind. So I would say our portfolio company, Eden Farm, which is a kind of agri-tech or farming platform, what they did is they installed refrigeration facilities at some of their distribution centers, which was able to reduce their carbon footprint because they reduced their logistics from daily to twice a week. So if you backtrack the carbon footprint on the logistics and the cost of petrol, et cetera, and replacing it with refrigeration, it's actually a very good foot forward in terms of focusing on the E component of ESG in a company that's not necessarily totally focused around that. Gotcha. Very interesting example. Now, Lauren, in your mind, where is the Asian investment community in comparison with its Western counterparts, you've mentioned Europe in particular, and its familiarity with and embrace of ESG? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, Europe is definitely leading the charge on this. That said, the Asian investment community is very interested and starting to ask more and more questions around ESG. I'm already starting to see the movement, as I mentioned earlier, from a general exclusion list into requiring ESG considerations, impact philosophies. This is an extremely fast-moving space. So as time goes on, the companies that have everything in terms of ESG and impact in place are just going to be one step ahead. Lauren, I have to say that the link between ESG and the tech startup 
now seems to be much more intuitive as a result of our session today. Clearly, achieving greater impact and relevance in the ESG space will become an ever more urgent imperative for the tech startup going forward. And I personally hope to be able to help you out in even small ways in your work with our portfolio companies going forward. Thanks a bunch for joining us today. Thank you so much, Alan. And I definitely look forward to working with you soon. Thank you. We hope our listeners have enjoyed today's episode. As always, please consider sharing any feedback that you have about the End of Techno podcast with us. Terima kasih. Sampai jumpa lagi. 